Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. I want to start with a familiar reading to some of you. I sing praises to you who have pulled me up and did not let my enemies celebrate victory over me. When I cried out for help, you healed me. You brought me up from hell and gave me life. All of you, I encourage you to sing and shout your gratitude. Conflicts last for a moment, but love lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30. And as a second reading before my sermon, I'd like to offer an excerpt of the work entitled No Mud, No Lotus by Thich Nhat Hanh. You may have noticed my stole this morning. I designed it with my mother, the lotus flower with these muddy roots just lingering down. I'm honored to wear it today. Thich Nhat Hanh writes, in each of our Plum Village practice centers around the world, we have a lotus pond. Everyone knows we need to have mud for lotuses to grow, but mud doesn't smell good. The lotus flower smells very good. But if you don't have the mud, the lotus won't manifest. You can't grow lotus flowers on marble. Without mud, there can be no lotus. It is possible, of course, to get stuck in the mud of life. It is easy enough to notice all notice mud all over you at times. The hardest thing to practice is not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by despair. When you're overwhelmed by despair, all you can see is suffering everywhere you look. You feel as if the worst thing is happening to you, but we must remember that suffering is a kind of mud that we need in order to generate joy and happiness. Without suffering, there is no happiness. So we shouldn't discriminate against the mud. We have to learn how to embrace it and cradle our own suffering and the suffering of the world with a lot of tenderness. If you know how to make good use of the mud, you can grow beautiful lotuses. If you know how to make good use of suffering, you can produce happiness. We do not need some suffering we do not need some suffering to make happiness possible, and most of us have enough suffering inside and around us to be able to do that. We don't have to create more. Thus ends the second reading. The biblical psalmist praises the faithfulness of the God of their understanding for bringing them up out of the pit. The Buddhist master notices the smell of the mud and the smell of the lotus blossom, praising a similar faithfulness of nature. It requires faith to believe in this kind of renewal, to know that a flower grows best in the mud, and so do we. It requires faith to believe in life, to know that our potential for renewal and restoration lives in our suffering itself. What is the role of the mud in the flourishing of the lotus? The role of suffering in our own flourishing? 
There's plenty of mud and suffering. We don't need to create more, and we don't need to justify it. So how do we use it well? Let's explore Buddhism for some answers. The four noble truths of Buddhism are simply suffering is real. Two, there are causes, courses of action that generate suffering. Three, there is an end to suffering. Four, there is a course of action that leads to the cessation of suffering contained in the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is a guide for the alignment of wisdom, ethics, and mental discipline in the Buddhist tradition. Thich Nhat Hanh suggests that many of us don't know how to accept that there is suffering because we try to cover it up and get around it rather than learning to suffer well. We need guidance sometimes and discipline, spiritual discipline. Mindfulness practices aid in the awareness of pain and suffering so that we can connect more deeply with ourselves and others. We understand our suffering with our wise mind, feel the unethical suffering of the world, and then process our pain into helping others and ending suffering. The Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker, one of our Christian UU theologians, writes about how her theology evolved to push back on the idea of redemptive suffering, the idea that suffering can save us, often leading the oppressed to believe that suffering is glorified and their lot in life. Her writing lifts up stories of women who stayed with their abusers because they hoped that they had enough love for their situations to grow beautifully out of the mud. Black humanist theologian Anthony Penn writes, suffering is evil and it must end. To think otherwise is to deny the value of human life. In Penn's view, Suffering results from human misconduct and can be remedied with human behavior change and heart change. Pin trusts, he has faith in humanity that we can end oppression and find ways to eliminate other kinds of suffering. When we finally stop waiting for divine intervention or help, he says, we will take the initiative to help others and ourselves. Said another way, Pin believes that joy comes in the morning only if we take the initiative. Reverend Parker and Master Han might say, yes, and. We rest in the love that sustains us to take that initiative each morning. Reverend Parker suggests that we are saved by our efforts to end suffering and are called by the divine to do so. She writes about understanding a God who delights in revolutionary disobedience and spirited protest. Was not Jesus one such as this, a prophet who confronted injustices and risked opposition rather than conform to an empire that enforced its oppressive will through violence? Our mud is not simply necessary. It must be tended to. It needs a light to shine down on it and bring life to the surface. 
In Buddhist tradition, the lotus symbol is not a symbol of our inner individual enlightenment just for us. For our own enlightenment without the reduction in suffering for others is no enlightenment at all. Instead, the lotus is collective enlightenment and liberation. The lotus represents purity of the body, speech, and mind as if floating above the murky waters of material attachment and physical desire. The lotus represents growth, beauty, and rising energy. Reverend Parker writes an essay about a cross-country road trip with a friend. She describes that one afternoon while passing through rural western Pennsylvania, they noticed blinking yellow warning lights. They saw fields covered in standing water and passed several roads that were blocked off and closed. Looks like they've had a flood here, they said. And they crossed a bridge, or a bridge over a wide river. The water was high, muddy, and flowing fast. Sandbags lined the roadway. They commented to each other that they must have had quite a bit of high water to contend with. It looked like these folks had had a major flood. And then they rounded the bend. And in front of them, a sheet of water covered the roadway. The water was rising fast like a huge silver balloon being inflated before their eyes. They stopped and started to turn the car around, but the water was rising behind them as well. Suddenly they realized the flood hadn't happened yesterday or last week. It was happening here and now. Dry ground was disappearing fast. So they scrambled out of their car to higher ground. They were soaked to the bone. Outside of their familiar insulated car, outside of familiar insulated misjudgments about the country they were traveling through. She writes that this is what it is like to be white in America. It is to travel well ensconced in a secure vehicle, to see signs of what is happening in the world outside the compartment one is traveling in and not realize that these signs have any contemporary meaning. It is to be dislocated, to misjudge your location and to believe you are uninvolved or unaffected by what is happening in the world. The mud is all around us and rising, and it's not just our mud, and it's certainly not someone else's mud, but we are in this mud together. Suffering is real. But we are not stuck in the mud together. We are rooted in the mud together. Finding the nutritious lessons deep inside and reaching with the lotus flower for the light above us. James Cohn said that to live meaningfully, we must see light beyond the darkness. He suggested that we are required to have faith and hope and I don't think it means that we must work at it. Just as we have ample mud, I also believe we have ample faith and hope in things unseen. Faith and hope are not exclusively theistic beliefs, 
but instead elements of the human condition that we all share. For example, as James Baldwin wrote, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world, and then you read. It was books that taught me that things that tormented me most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive, who had ever been alive. Suffering does not redeem us. Suffering does not save us. But suffering does define us as being alive. Suffering helps us identify with everyone who has ever lived and who will ever live. And in our sharing of our suffering, our sharing of our stories, we also include how we survived, how we triumphed, how we delighted. Baldwin says these stories are never new, but must always be heard. There isn't any other tale to tell. It's the only light we've got in this darkness. Our stories are in the light and in the mud. Our listening and telling nurtures those lotus petals to break open into bloom. Our roots are wet and covered in earth. Let us grow together. May it be so. Blessed be. Ashe and amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more sermon podcasts, go to uucf.org slash worship hyphen services and scroll down to sermon podcasts.